This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody, especially those of you up in Husky land, the Yukon Huskies, your 2022-23 NCAA champions. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the fourth day of April 2023, and a a celebration that I am sure is still going on in Connecticut uh, as the Huskies win over San Diego State 76-59. The game really, it it got close a little bit a couple of times, but uh, UConn, a dominant stretch in this game. They uh, held San Diego State without a field goal for 11 minutes. Opened up a big advantage. They led by as much as 16 at one point until San Diego State cut it to five. And uh, UConn takes care of business. And uh, they win their fifth national championship. Danny Hurley joins Kevin Ollie, which a lot of (laughs) Husky fans would like to forget. And Jim Calhoun as coaches that have led UConn two national championships and these five championships have started in 1999 so they have been the most dominant team you say what you want about their time in the american conference and leaving the big east and all this other stuff say what you want uconn has been the most dominant program in college basketball since 1999 uh the five victories ties them um with Indiana for, I think, fourth most in NCAA history. Uh, they got a long way to go before they get to to, uh, to UCLA's. Uh, uh, but this team is going to be good for a while. They've got a hell of a recruiting class coming in, um, and uh, they're going to be good. It, it, and, I, you know, it sounded like bravado. If Do you remember, I think it was um, right after Danny Hurley got there, and it was a, a tough game they played against Villanova in the middle of the season. And Danny Hurley said at a post-game press conference that teams better get us now because it's coming. I mean, you know, and uh, Hurley can be a little uh, a little much to take at times. I have to be honest. Um, his style. Uh, not my favorite, a little too intense for me, uh, at times a little too cocky for me, but that's just part of who he is. That's part of who his family is. I mean, you know, he comes from uh, coaching royalty, I guess you would say, with his father, one of the best high school coaches in the history of this country, uh, his brother coaching out at Arizona State. Um, but he said, we're coming, and they have gotten better and better and better. 
and they just absolutely steamrolled through this entire tournament. Think about this. Um, from the Sweet 16 on, UConn trailed in 160 minutes of basketball. They trailed for a grand total of five minutes. Five minutes. It's Think about How about in the first round of the tournament, you look at it and you go, how the hell were they losing to Iona at one point? Right? The way that they just killed everybody in this tournament. Adama Sinogo named um, the most outstanding player of the Final Four. He wasn't just the most outstanding player of the Final Four. He was the best player in this tournament. He was the reason UConn did what they did. 17 points, 10 rebounds in the finale. Um, and big rebound after big rebound, uh, block shots, uh, and, and don't take away from the fact, think, you know, everybody is excited about Adama Sonogo as they should be, but think about Donovan Klingon, the freshman, the seven, two kid out of Connecticut. That's his backup. That's still raw. But when you watch him play and his instincts on the basketball court, He's going to be a beast, you know, I mean, if they can keep him there. I mean, the problem is is that at 7-2, people are going to want a piece of him in the NBA. But even if he doesn't block shots, and he only blocked one last night, he forces teams to alter their shots. But Sonogo was just great last night. 17 points, 10 boards. Tristan Newton, 19 points. 10 rebounds. Jordan Hawkins with some big clutch shots last night, 16 points. Uh, there's some uh, – he's only a sophomore, but there is some talk that uh, he is on his way to the NBA already as a sophomore. I hope that's not true, but, you know, in this day and age, and you can't blame a kid. If you got a chance to take the money, you got to take the money. So that may be the last we have seen of, of him in a, in a Husky uniform. I hope not. Uh, but uh, Tristan Newton uh, had some troubles last night. He had the 19 points, but he also had five turnovers. And you have to give San Diego State a lot of credit in this game. Their defense was just relentless. Relentless. And the referees really let these guys play last night. Now, you're going to look at it and say, well, they called 35 fouls, Gene. How'd they let them play? Believe me when I tell you, they could have probably called twice as many. There were some sequences last night I couldn't believe they didn't call fouls. Um, UConn went to the line, no, 27 times and hit 24 of the 27. It wasn't the difference in the game, but it was a big part of that game. 27 free throws to 20 for uh, San Diego State. San Diego State went 15 of 20, 75%. So UConn outscored them by nine at the free throw line, but the big difference was UConn's defense. They held San Diego State to just 32% shooting. And they got San Diego State a little bit out of their game. San Diego State is not a three-point shooting team. But early in the game, they hit a couple of threes, and that's how they were scoring. And then UConn, of course, put the clamps on them, and they couldn't score at all for 11 minutes. But, you know... One of the things I always say, and then they had to shoot more threes towards the end of the game. One of the things I always say about three-point shooting is it's fool's gold. And and metrics in the NBA will tell you that's all you should shoot is threes, right? Because that's all we see in the NBA now is threes. It's ridiculous. And, and at that level, perhaps it's different. But in college basketball, you know, 
you hit a couple of threes and all of a sudden you think you're Steph Curry. You know, and uh, I thought that UConn forced uh, San Diego State to get a little bit out of what they wanted to do last night. But just an unbelievable performance. It was an ugly game. Don't get me wrong. This was not a game that uh, they're going to put in the can and put in the Hall of Fame as a great example of a college basketball game. Because in many ways, it was it was a bit of a street fight. Um, some of that may have been, you know, based on the referees. Some of it may have been, look, UConn just had too much talent. You knew they were going to win this game. But it certainly was not pretty, not even not even close. Um, but, but again, you know, look, UConn was great all you think. I mean, look, think about this. They beat number one, overall number one seed Alabama in November, right? Um Marquette was a number two seed back in February to beat the crap out of them, right? Uh, they were ranked high in the metrics before this tournament started, and you can make the case that the NCAA tournament did UConn a favor. The tournament committee did UConn a favor by making them a four seed. They had no business being a four seed. When you look at – and, you know, you can look at whatever metric you want. The Ken Palm is the one that a lot of people get – carried away with these days there's so many of them it used to when I was back when I was working in college athletics it was the Sagarin ratings I mean there were so many different ways to uh to try to uh, evaluate how good a team was but UConn was not as a four seed you're saying that you are at best the 10th best team in the country UConn was better than that before this tournament started so the, the tournament committee may have done them a big big favor no question about it um but this, you know, look, again, um, now Adama Sanogo becomes a legend on the UConn campus, right? You know, it was funny. I was reading an AP story, and I hadn't thought about this. But if you're from Connecticut, guys that are great players in UConn history no longer become known by their full names. They are just one name. All you have to say, you know, you on the UConn campus and you're walking around and somebody says Rip, everybody knows you're talking about Rip Hamilton. If you say Kemba, everybody knows it's Kemba Walker and Ameka, Ameka Okafor. I mean, now Adama Sanogo is going to be the same kind of name on that campus. He will never have to buy a drink in the state of Connecticut, although he, you know, being Muslim, he probably does not drink. Uh, but he, he, you know, he might not have to buy a dinner in the state of Connecticut for the rest of his life. Just a dominant performance by UConn, a, a fun, uh, a fun run to watch. I mean, I guess it well fun for those of us that were rooting for UConn to win. I guess for anybody else uh, that's not a UConn fan, not so much, not so much. Um, and then just to put a kind of a uh, a ribbon on it, it was Jim Nance's uh, last game calling the NCAA tournament. And I have always enjoyed Jim Nance as a broadcaster. I think he's one of the best um, as far as uh, uh, basketball and golf and football. I thought he was one of the best. Um, so his voice is going to be missed. And I'm, I'm a, I don't know where they're going to go. I hope it's not Ian Eagle or... Gus Johnson, guys that to me are a little bit over the top and their voices are a little bit more shrill. Uh, Jim Nance was just uh, the best. And uh, when he kind of signed off last night, it was uh, very classy. Uh, they tried to, a couple of times, Bill Raftery tried to 
you kind of prompt him a little bit to talk about this being his final game, and he kept saying, I don't want to be the story here. I want to concentrate on what's going on in the game, which was nice. And then it, it, he made a couple of marks on his way out and basically said, hey, not to, you know, not to have a you know, big playoff of the way I always welcome everybody to the, to the broadcast, but you know, to Bill Raftery uh, you know, he, and to everybody listening, he said, you know, thank you for being my friend. I thought it was a very classy way to go out. You could hear it in his voice. And uh, He's not going away. He's still going to be calling golf. Uh, he'll be at the Masters Tournament this weekend for CBS. He's still going to be the lead uh, play-by-play guy on NFL for them. He's 63 years old. He'll be around for a while yet. Um, but uh, he is going to be missed at the uh, NCAA tournament, in my opinion. Um, the ratings came out for the women's basketball game. And, folks, they weren't just good. They were astronomical. 9.9 million people watched Sunday's championship game between LSU and Iowa. Nine, let me put that in context for you. That is more than any women's college basketball game ever. Not only that, it was more people watching than nine of this past season's Thursday night NFL football games. When you are drawn ratings that exceed an NFL football game, you have arrived. And, you know, we talked about how crazy this men's tournament was with all the one seeds losing and everything. This women's tournament was almost as crazy with, you know, the the upset of the number one overall seed in South Carolina and, you know, the great game by Iowa and LSU's magical run, Kim Mulkey trying to take another team to a championship. There were so many great things that happened, and it carried through. But they beat nine NFL football games. At the end of the year, they always put out a list of the most watched television programs of the season and nine of the 10 or eight of the 10 almost always are football that's how crazy that's how that's how ingrained NFL football is in this country it's it's the equivalent of the way that soccer is ingrained into the people of the UK so to, to, to do what they did, 9.9 million people watching a women's basketball game that folks, and I'm, this isn't hyperbole, that, you know, uh, eight, ten years ago would have drawn less than half of that, and that might be kind. To, to see where the women's game has come is remarkable. And uh, it's, a, it's a testament to the way uh, that the NCAA and the women's coaches have embraced things and uh, made it more competitive. We no longer have just, you know, three or four super teams. We now have a situation where a lot like in men's college basketball, there's more parity and you see more upsets. So a great basketball season uh, comes to an end last night. And for someone who was uh, born and raised in the state of Connecticut, it couldn't have ended uh, in a better way uh, for me. Uh, and, I, and, and full disclosure, there were times I was not a University of Connecticut fan. Why? Well, because I, <laughs> because I worked at Division I uh, universities in the state of Connecticut that were not named UConn. I worked at Central Connecticut State. I worked at Sacred Heart University. I saw... 
uh, the way that UConn was treated by the media and and the way that they were given everything that they wanted and the way that the rest of the Division One schools in the state had to beg for the scraps left over. And when you're working in a situation like that, it's kind of hard to root for a team that is getting the attention that you want for your school, right? It's, it's, it's hard. You know, you say, well, we play Division One basketball the same way they do. Well, yes, but not at that level. I mean, we played UConn uh, in the 10 years I worked in Division One. We played against UConn uh, a half a dozen times. And the closest we came to beating them, I think we lost by 14. You know, we and we actually led that game um, when we were at Sacred Heart University. We actually led that game at halftime. So it's apples and oranges. So there was a time, you know, and you and you and it comes off as and Jim Jim Calhoun can be difficult to take when he was the coach there. The way he coaches and and the arrogance and but you know that's what made his team so great. But now having stepped away from that and now living in the state of North Carolina, it's okay for me and it's easier for me to embrace. Uh, what UConn is, and I, I'm very proud of of, of what our state uh, has built. All right, um, so we got uh, baseball news. We had lots of baseball stuff going on yesterday. Everybody in action, and uh, the Red Sox starting pitching is just I, I don't even one time through the rotation, and the starting pitchers for the Red Sox have an ERA north of eleven. Eleven, um, and yet somehow. <laughs> they're still at 500. They're you know four games and and uh, they're still uh, uh, they've still won a couple of games despite their starting pitching. Uh, we'll get to a little bit more about that in a minute. But one thing I wanted to talk about first is through the first four games of the season, uh, with all the new pitching rules, it it's working, and it, and and. Some numbers came out yesterday. The time of game for the first four games this season is two hours and 38 minutes. For the same time period last year, the first four games of the season, the average game time was three hours and eight minutes. They have cut off a half an hour off of games just by going to this pitch clock. I cannot underestimate, I cannot tell you enough how much of a difference this is going to make to the game not just for me I mean it's great to be able to watch a game and watch it move along but the fact that it is going to bring younger people back to the game because there is something constantly happening we don't have guys adjusting their batting gloves their cups or whatever 87 times before they step into the box the pitcher touching every piece of equipment on his body until he throws a pitch We've got something happening all the time. It's going to bring excitement back to this game. Stolen bases in the same time period between year to year. Last year, first four games, 29 stolen bases. This year, 70. 70. Two and a half times more. Stolen base percentages are up from 67 to 85. Um, so there's action on the field. We need to keep younger people engaged in this sport, and this is the perfect way to do it. And, you know, you can't have games that are slogging along at three and a half hours, 
You know, we've had a couple of games this year that, you know, took two hours. Colorado and San Diego played a game on Sunday that was two hours and three minutes. Two hours and three minutes. You can't you you can't get a basketball game under in two hours and three minutes. Uh, the NHL, the NFL, no other sport, folks, are getting a game in in two hours and three minutes. But if you can get it to two and a half hours and get it to where it's the equivalent of watching another sport, you know the the time commitment involved, and the and that there's constant things going on, you can bring more people back to baseball. Uh, when I was, you know, I, I hate to keep talking about when I was a kid, but uh, and I wasn't necessarily a kid, but in 1981, and in 1981 I was 21 years old. In 1981, the average time of game was two hours and 33 minutes. There was no pitch clock, folks. It was just the way the game was played. It we just you moved things along. Well, by 2005, that. 233 had gone up to 246 and then just 15 years later it jumped to three hours and 10 minutes you know so it had gotten way out of control you know you could say some of it's the analytics with moving players around and you know the the way now that you know guys are swinging and missing at everything and you know it's strikeouts and home runs and not much else you know that brought it up maybe but all I know is what they have done here at the start of the season is making a difference. It's a small sample size. I get it. It's just 50 games total, 2% of the season. But when you think about it, it's significant enough. The numbers are significant enough to tell you, even if they go backwards a little bit, Major League Baseball has made big strides. And, and you know, the, the change in shift – you know, that you can't shift uh, defensive players all the time. Uh, batting average on balls in play has increased by 15 points this year. 15 points. You know, we've had a number of times where we've seen situations where runs have scored, balls have gotten through that if last year they had shifted on a guy where they normally would have, it would have been an out or a double play. So it's making a difference. And anybody that listens to this show knows how much I can't stand Rob Manfred and how much I think he's a, a, a horrible or has been a horrible commissioner. And I often wonder whether he even likes baseball. But this is the first time that he has done something where I can say he knocked it out of the park. I know he didn't do it by himself. He had guys like uh, Theo Epstein and some guys that – are baseball guys a lot more than he is guiding him, but he didn't get in the way here. And this was an absolute home run for Major League Baseball. Um, and uh, MLB owners yesterday ratified the new collective bargaining agreement that um, includes minor league players. They did it unanimously. So, and the players had ratified it on Friday. So now minor leaguers are going to get a big raise. Are they going to be making the kind of money major leaguers are? Not even close. But in most cases, uh, they are, you know, it, it, it comes close to doubling salaries for a lot of the guys, especially in the lower minors. So this is absolutely huge and makes it much easier for minor leaguers to exist, still have a family, uh, and still chase their dreams. Uh, and it includes pay for spring training, by the way. 
I don't know if you knew this, but you know, guys that go to spring training, these minor leaguers, they don't get paid. They get paid during the season. They don't get paid for now. They will um, f- uh, pay for spring training pay and off-season work at team complex. They're going to pay six hundred twenty-five bucks a week uh, starting next year, and it goes up incrementally after that. But you know, that's six hundred bucks a week. That's more than you know people. A lot of other people that are you know working minimum wage. That's more than you know they're making. So these guys have an opportunity to at least exist, and you know some of these guys can maybe chase their dreams. Uh, a little bit longer than they could have otherwise. It's 30 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the game action from yesterday. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. And uh, I referenced the hideous Red Sox starting pitching, and there's just no other way to put this uh, in in. 11 and a third innings through the first four games of the season. Red Sox starting pitchers have allowed 15 runs, all of them earned. That's 11.91. Folks, it's not going to work. It's just not, you can't, you cannot do that. You you cannot expect the, uh, the, the hitting to bail you out all the time. And by the way, the, and I say that, those 11 and a third, that was over the first three games. That doesn't count what Cutter Crawford did last night. Last night, Cutter Crawford goes four innings, gives up seven earned runs. Three of them left the ballpark. Against, ladies and gentlemen, the Pittsburgh Pirates. The team with one of the three or four lowest payrolls in baseball. The Pittsburgh Pirates gave up three runs in the first inning. The Red Sox come back, score five in the bottom of the inning as the bats try to keep a minute. Rafi Devers with a homer. Masa Yoshida hit his first home run. Tristan Casas hit a home run. It was, you know, and it's 5-3, and you're like, all right, this is going to be a blowout. Well, Cutter Crawford can, you know, proceeded to give up single runs in the second, third, and two more in the fourth. And then the Red Sox bats went to sleep. But you cannot expect them to continually bail you out. So now we come all the way back around to the start of the rotation. And Corey Kluber is going to start against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was absolutely embarrassing in the opening game against the Orioles. <laughs> um, you know, you can't – I've talked about the, the – the, I had optimism for the Red Sox because Chris Sale was healthy. I thought Kluber was going to give them some decent innings. I thought Nick Pavetta is a guy that can go out and eat innings. Brian Bayo is coming. He's not there yet. Garrett Whitlock, uh, if you want to think as him as a regular piece of your rotation. There was hope that Tanner Houck was going to be able to. Tanner Houck has given them their best start, and he gave up three runs in five innings. And people were applauding him for giving up three runs in five innings. Let me tell you something. When I grew up watching baseball, if you were a starting pitcher and your line at the end of the day was five innings and three runs, you were pissed. And the fans were pissed because you know why? Because you stunk. 
you know. But now our, our the bar has been lowered so far for starting pitchers in Major League Baseball that three runs in five innings is practically a quality start. Well, they need more out of Corey Kluber tonight. And these Red Sox need more out of this pitching as a whole. Look, they have an opportunity in the month of April to get off to a good start, especially the first nine games. You've got the Orioles. You've already taken two out of three. Then you've got the Pirates who stink, and then you have the Detroit Tigers who stink. Your first nine games. And if you want to get off to some kind of a start, it needed to be a 7-2 and two, nine, first nine. Six and three at the outside, because then you got to go play at Tampa Bay for four, and good luck. But if you look at the schedule, you know, those first nine, you could make some hay. You know, you got Baltimore for three more, but, you know, the rest of the schedule, they've got the Angels for four. The Angels aren't great, and they're in Fenway. But it still means Trout and Otani are coming. But, again, it's a team you think you might be able to, to beat. But then you've got to play Minnesota. You've got to play Milwaukee, teams that are going to be in playoff contention. I said the Orioles three more. The Guardians who were in the playoffs last year. You know, that's why this start is so important because, you know, because you haven't even played the Yankees or Toronto yet. Red Sox don't even see the Yankees until June. And they don't see Toronto until the 1st of May. So you need to make hay against these other teams, and this pitching is not going to get it. I don't care who you're playing. Case in point, since 2003, the Red Sox have made the playoffs 11 times. And in each of those 11 seasons, their winning percentage at the end of April has been 522. That's been the average. Or no, at least. That's the lowest winning percent. So that would mean they have to go through the month of April, three or four games over 500 to do what they have done in the past. And by contrast, they've posted a record of 500 or worse at the end of April six times. They missed the playoffs in all six, and then we're in last place in three of those times. So it is not hyperbole to tell you that this pitching staff has got to be better. Now, the next three days, they've got some big stuff happening. James Paxton pitches today in Fort Myers. Brian Bale pitches tomorrow down in Fort Myers. Uh, Garrett Whitlock's supposed to play his final tune-up, pitch his final tune-up in A Portland on Thursday. He'll probably be in the rotation next week. Bale maybe a week or two behind him, and then Paxton maybe behind that. They need those guys, and they need them badly, and they need them to be healthy and what people expect them to be, or it is going to be a long season. It's obvious the Red Sox can score runs. There's Look, you know, they averaged nine runs through the first three games. They scored six last night. And when you score six runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates, that has to be enough to win a game. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is not the Pittsburgh Pirates from the 1970s. This is not Willie Stargell and, and those guys. This is the Pittsburgh Pirates of the 2000s, which are just awful. Adam Duvall was the player of the week in the American League last week, right? Eight for 14, he, you know, eight RBIs, two bombs. Great. Has another great game last night. Right? Had a uh, uh, had two more hits last night. 
drove in another run. They walked a couple of times. I mean, look, Rafi Devers is finally getting things going. Alex Verdugo has been great at the top of the lineup. He's leading off. He's hitting 421. Guy who is not a prototypical leadoff hitter has done a pretty good job so far. So they're doing what they need to do. I mean, you're still waiting for Tristan Casas to finally figure it out. Um, you know, he hit his first home run last night, but not exactly hitting the ball. Masha Yoshida hit a home run last night. He's hitting 294, but he's not exactly tearing the cover off the ball. Justin Turner's been really good. Uh, even despite an 0 for 4 last night, he's still hitting over 300. So they can hit the ball. But my God. I don't know if the pitching can be any worse. You know what? <laughs> you should never say that, I guess. I hope the pitching can't be any worse because it's it's how bad it's been. It's just frightening. And then you turn around and uh, you watch the New York Yankees yesterday. Yankees moved to 3-1 and one as uh, they pound the Philadelphia Phillies 8-1. to one. How about the Phillies? Defending National League champs are 0-4. Um, and they're not just 0-4. They're an embarrassing 0-4. Um, they're 0-4 for the first time since 2016. And by the way, there's only one team that's ever uh, gone on to win a World Series after starting the season 0-4, and that was the 2021 Atlanta Braves. They haven't started 0-5 since 1934, but they got a chance to do that tonight. I mean, it's just been brutal. Taiwan Walker, who signs as a free agent with the Phillies, goes out and makes a season debut last night and last four and a third, gives up four runs, walks three guys. And the bullpen was brutal. Nestor Cortez, the uh, uh, the quirky one, goes out, and uh, this is a guy that missed time in spring training. He goes out last night and throws five innings, gives up just one run, doesn't walk anybody. And then the Yankee bullpen does its job. And uh, they win this one easily, 8-1. to one. Gleyber Torres hit his 100th career home run last night. Also got on base five times. Uh, Anthony Rizzo with a two-run shot last night. Uh, they kept Aaron Judge in the ballpark. They kept John Carlos Stanton in the ballpark. But Gleyber Torres with the home run. Uh, and the Yankees beat the Phillies 8-1. to one. Just brutal. Uh, Domingo Herman is going to start for the Yankees today. Matt Strom, who was a relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox last year, uh, will get the start for the Philadelphia Phillies. So that is what the Phillies are counting on against the Yankees to stop them from going 0-5. Good luck. Uh, I mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays that the Red Sox uh, will have to play them after this this nine-game stretch. The Rays are 4-0 and for the first time in franchise history after they beat the Washington Nationals last night 6-2, to and they just continue to pitch and pitch and pitch a night after Jeffrey Springs went six shutout innings in a start. Uh, Drew Rasmussen goes six shutout innings last night, only gives up two hits, strikes out seven, doesn't walk anybody. I mean, it, this Rays team, they just, honest to God, you couldn't pick out half these guys uh, out of a lineup, right? You know, they have a few names that you know who they are, but most of these guys you're like, huh? They beat the Nationals 6-2 to last night um, and and now are 4-0. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, uh, look, I didn't pick them to win the division. I still think that the Yankees are the class of that division, and I still think that Toronto is the second-best team in that division. 
But would I be totally shocked at the end of the year if you looked up at the standings and the, the Tampa Bay Rays were sitting in first place? That wouldn't shock me either. And, and the reason I say that is, you know, you, the Yankees, you never know about health. You know, Judge stayed healthy last year. Kenny this year. Can John Carlos Stanton stay healthy? Those are a lot of big ifs. And you've got a rookie at shortstop. Now, the, you know, the early returns on Anthony Volpe in New York are great. But he's still a rookie. And adjustments are going to be made. And you wonder whether he'll be able to sustain that. But the other reason I say it is you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, a team that is loaded, or you would think that they are loaded, and they can hit the ball. And on paper, their rotation should be pretty good. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays are 1-3, and three, and they got drilled last night by the Kansas City Royals. The Royals pick up their first win of the season. Brady Singer allows just one run on two hits over five innings, and Francisco Barrios, making his uh, season debut last night, gives up nine hits and eight runs. You know, And the Toronto pitching staff, the starters have struggled – just as mightily as the Red Sox starters have. And, you you know, again, you can't ask your offense to pick uh, your team up consistently. They managed 10 hits last night, but they dug themselves such a big hole they had no way of coming back. Singer, the, the probably the key to this game is that Kansas City built a 7 nothing lead after four innings. Toronto loaded the bases with nobody out in the fifth inning. Singer got a big double play to get two outs, a run scored on it, but then he gets out of the inning. Uh, things could have gone south really big, and the kid, kid dug in and uh, got himself out of a big jam. And uh, today Toronto's going to have to count on Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, he will go against uh, Chris Bubich. They will both make their season debuts uh, for their respective teams today. Um, the Rangers lose. The Baltimore Orioles finally uh, hang a loss on the Texas Rangers, 2-0. Uh, the scary part about this one, though, was Ranger outfielder Josh Smith got hit in the face uh, by a pitch in the third inning. And uh, he ended up going to the hospital and uh, has to, had to get some tests done. We don't know yet exactly how he is. Hopefully he is okay, but uh, a scary moment there. But the uh, Texas Rangers managed just one hit in this game. One hit. Uh, John Gray got the start for Texas, and he was pretty good. Only gave up to it uh, two runs and four hits, but the bats were absolutely silent. Uh, the guy that was really the star of this game for the Baltimore Orioles uh, was Tyler Wells. Came out of the bullpen, uh, five shutout innings out of the bullpen, and that was the difference in this one, and the, uh, the Orioles pick up the victory. It is 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call as we get ready to wrap things up here on a Tuesday morning. And I was thinking about the start that the Phillies have gotten off to. And the only uh, saving grace, I guess, if you are the Phillies, is that this horrendous start has been on the road. Right? I mean, can you imagine? Uh, because Philly <laughs> Not just Phillies fans, but fans in the city of Philadelphia um, are probably the most brutal in sports, period. And I don't think it's close. And I'm talking about not just the Phillies, but the Eagles and the Flyers and the 76ers. Uh, fans in Philadelphia are not afraid to let you know when you stink. And things have been pretty bad for Philly. Well, how about... 
the New York Mets, and, you know, I mean, they're not, uh, obviously have not gotten off to a bad a start uh, as uh, as Philly. I mean, they're 3-2. and two, uh, But they take one on the chin last night, 10 nothing. Actually, it was yesterday afternoon. Uh, Bryce Terang, his first major league homer, a grand slam in the fifth inning, a seven-run fifth inning, and the Mets get drilled by the Milwaukee Brewers, 10 nothing. And, look, it is not – obviously, it is not realistic to think that the New York Mets are going to win every game. But when your owner is spending $350-plus million, your fans are going to expect the New York Mets to win every game. <laughs> There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, but Carlos Carrasco making his uh, season start debut for the Mets yesterday uh, was bad. He walked four, gave up four hits and five runs in just four innings. And then Tommy Hunter came out of the bullpen and gave up five hits and five runs in two innings. Uh, In the meantime, Freddie Peralta, six shutout innings, gave up just two hits. Uh, The Mets managed just three hits, two of those by Guillaume from the nine spot. Uh, and the Mets lineup just completely uh, hamstrung yesterday as they get clubbed by the Brewers, ten uh, nothing. Max Scherzer is going to get the start for the Mets today. A little over underwhelming in his first start. Wade Miley will make his season debut for the Milwaukee Brewers today. Uh, the Atlanta Braves win yesterday. They beat the St. Louis Cardinals eight to four. Charlie Morton, the ageless one, uh, went to Ridgefield High School in Connecticut. Five and a third innings, nine hits, three runs. Wasn't great, but he danced in and out of trouble. Uh, picks up the victory for Atlanta. Uh, Woodford got the start for St. Louis. Got drilled six hits. I mean, six runs and seven hits in four and a third. Um, but Ronald Acuna Jr. a three-run home run last night. He appears to be healthy. He obviously the last couple of years has had some problems with injuries, a torn ACL, and then a, a foot and a groin injury last year. Uh, Ozzy Albies had a home run. Austin Riley had a home run. So the usual cast of characters and uh, an easy win for the Braves last night. The Braves also announced they are going to retire uh, the number worn by Chipper Jones, the number 25. They are going to do that uh, September the 9th before a home game against the Pirates. Uh, of course, uh, Chipper, 10 straight Gold Glove Awards, a five-time All-Star, uh, almost 2,000 hits in his career, 1,300 RBI over 400 home runs uh, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2016. So I think it was just a just a matter of time before you were going to see that. You know, you always think, at, at what point are we not going to see firsts anymore, right? It seems like, especially in baseball, this is one thing, there's an old joke, you know, you always see something new in baseball that you've never seen before. At some point, that's got to stop, right? Well, we saw something in baseball last night that has never been seen before. The Padres last night became the first team in Major League history, in Major League history, to walk off on back-to-back home runs by the number eight and nine hitters in the lineup. First time in history. Now, some of that, especially with the Padres, you think about it. I mean, there was a there was no DH in the National League up until uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but last night, pinch hitter David Dahl hits a home run from the eighth spot. Uh, and then their uh, second baseman, Kim Hae-sung, 
hits a home run from the nine spot, and then they walk off the win against the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, and uh, they win this one by a final of five to four. Uh, it's uh, the Padres. Look, the Padres, I think, win that division this year. I think I think they win that division this year. I mean, it's going to be a great race. Uh, with the Dodgers. Say what, I don't care what anybody says about the Giants, and the Giants had a great game yesterday, hitting home runs all over the place against the White Sox. I don't see – and there's nobody that has the kind of talent this Padre team has. Um, so uh, they, they they do something that's never been done before to win again last night. Uh, Zach Gallen is going to make the start for Arizona in uh, the second game of that series tonight. Hugh Darvish is going to make his season debut – for the Padres today, his timeline was pushed back a little bit because he pitched in the World Baseball Classic, so he will make his debut today. Uh, how about the Tigers? Tigers finally pick up a W. Uh, they knock off the Houston Astros. The Astros now 2-3 and three to start the season. Matt Verling, a uh, tie-breaking two-run home run in the 11th inning um, as uh, they end up winning this game over the Houston Astros. And look, uh, the Tigers... Uh, looked like they had this game in hand. All they had to do was close it out, but they kind of melted down in the ninth inning. They they blow the save, and uh, they end up winning it in the 11th. And uh, A.J. Hinch finally gets a victory, and he does it back in his uh, old ballpark in Houston. Framber Valdez is going to get the start today for Houston, and Matt Manning will get the start in the second game there. Uh, the Angels win. They beat the Mariners 7-3. Shohei Otani with another home run, another 430-foot blast, this one to right center field. Uh, he's off to a great start this season. Mike Trout got on base five times. Uh, of course, it <laughs> did it the, the hard way. A single three walks and a hit by pitch. But, uh, again, you know, if he and if he and Otani can put it together and they get anything out of the rest of this lineup, these angels are going – they could surprise some people. I really think they could. Uh, one of the people they need something out of is Anthony Rendon. Well, Anthony Rendon is going to be out for the next four games. He was suspended by Major League Baseball uh, after an altercation with a fan. He actually reached through a, a fence and grabbed a fan by his shirt. Uh, and uh, he was originally given five games. They reduced it to four, and he decided not to appeal. Uh, but that's a guy that has, uh, you know, came over from Washington. Much was expected. He's had a lot of injury problems since coming over to the Angels. Uh, but uh, I still think that team has the ability to uh, uh, to do some things this year. And the Minnesota Twins stay unbeaten. Uh, they beat the Mariners 11-1. to Joey Gallo, his third home run of the early season. Joey Gallo looks like uh, he might be rounding back into his old form. Uh, on the way out, uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame announced its new inductees yesterday. It's going to be Bob McDill, who is a uh, songwriter, and then Grammy winners Tanya Tucker and Patti Loveless going into the Country Music Hall of Fame. So on our way out this morning, little Tanya Tucker. This is called Tell Me About It. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.